The soil with Laulangosi. This is a call for divine intervention from those in the heavenlies to just take over, take over. As the numbers are coming in, I can just imagine people saying, Laulangos, take over, take the reins, Heavenly Father. Yep, we're focusing on the numbers as they come in. And in our news headlines, Utsile Sanko is bringing us the very latest as and when it unfolds. But uh, right now in our throwback Thursday edition, we take a look at, I suppose, similar similar circumstances, right? When we voted uh, as a country and when Madiba was then announced, of course, as the first president um, of a democratic South Africa. It was a day that many people had been anticipating and a day that filled the country with a sense of pride. On the 9th of May in 1994, Nelson Mandela was elected the first black South African president by the National Assembly. The next day, uh, he was inaugurated as head of state in line with the interim constitution. Uh, a government of national unity was then formed. IFP, NP, ANC uh, represented in cabinet in proportion to the number of seats each political party won in those elections. And so we throw back, we look back at those first democratic elections that we um, had as a nation. How far have we come? Has the dream been deferred? Is all well in South Africa, Inc.? Are we just filled with doom and gloom? Are we not that bad? Are we an anomaly? Are we still the rainbow nation? Or really, we are like most other countries, eh? We must just not think of ourselves as being far too special. But yeah, millions of South Africans taking to the polls with pride. Uh, Back in 1994, it marked an end of a horrific era for the country. Uh, The apartheid dispensation. Oh, the joy we felt when Nelson Mandela cast his first vote at age 76. I mean, you can imagine millions of black. South Africans stood in the longest voting lines the world had ever seen. It was a remarkable day indeed and a sign of great things to come, or many had hoped. But it wasn't uh, just about the long lines and the jubilation of the day, I suppose. That that day signified freedom from oppression. It uh, signified a restoration of hope, of dreams, of dignity for black people. It meant a succession of black presidents for this once oppressed nation. And it meant that our children would never be subjected to segregation like, um, like those of old, right? But how far have we come as a nation? How are we doing? Hmm? Hello, South Africa. Tell me how you're doing. Political analyst Budzang Muilwa joins us on the phone now to just take us through uh, that trip down memory lane. Budzang, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon, Ayama, and good afternoon to the SHM listeners, and, and thanks for having me on the show on this very, uh, very important and you know, memorial day uh, thinking that 25 years ago on this particular day. Mm. I want to know, firstly, maybe I'm going to be asking you to reveal your age here, but give us some context of where you were. <laughs> Barbas J. Well, <laughs> back well, in 94 well, on this I day. Must be, <laughs> I must be on this day, the 9th of May, the year 1994, I was at the voting age. Uh-huh. So, so I was well within the voting age. I was watching the proceedings. I remember that time on 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 TV one. Uh, it was not yet SADC one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. So I was well within the voting age. I'm fully aware of what transpired on the day. But I also like your opening remarks on 
us reflecting whether is this a dream, you know, defeat, whether we have achieved what has intended, are we still a rainbow nation, are we where we anticipated to be as a nation? And to most of those questions, my answer is unfortunately not. Mm. Uh, the good has happened in the country, and one thing that we must appreciate as a nation is that transcending from an apartheid brutal era of racial including gender segregation, where we are. We must behave as a nation that it went through peacefully. You know, mm-hmm. there was no bloodshed and, and, and anything that could have brought the country into a state as where we didn't want to be as a nation. That part we have done extremely well as a nation. But in my view, to transcend from an oppressed, landless, poor, uh, a black nation to look at where we are today, uh, I don't think we've done well as a nation. And I'm basing this on, you know, several studies, international findings. We are regarded today, I am and the listeners, as a country with one of the most balanced constitution and, and beloved constitution in the world, you know, it's adults. However, we remain officially the world's most unequal society. Mm. So there's a disjuncture somewhere that if we have a glorified constitution and there's been a democratic peaceful process, six times today, how come we still remain? And we overtook countries like Brazil to become the world's most unequal society. So somewhere, somehow, we are not doing well as a nation. Let's look at that somewhere, somehow. Where did it all go wrong? Because I can recall the euphoria of this rainbow nation, the promise that stood before us, how the world had sort of galvanized around us to make sure that, um, you know, we succeed. Odadu Nelson Mandela drawing in investments from far and wide. Where did the cracks start to form? What went wrong? I, I think personally what went wrong primarily is the issues that were liberation movements were formed for, like, you know, the equal distribution of the land in South Africa. And when we speak of land, our people will have to understand that at that time we're not talking about land to build our houses and your flat and your RBT. The equal distribution of land comes from the equal distribution of the economic resources of the country. We put that last after 1994 instead of first. So we did not focus on us occupying strategic economic position, industrialized positions as black people in order to come and believe the rights of the black majority. We did not. We focused on occupying political positions to be in the union building to win parliament. That was the primary sector. The second sector is the people that we entrusted and from all political spectrums, not only from the ANC, all, you know, former liberation movement. We entrusted the upbringing of the economically inactive population to be economically active on people who were mainly in prison and mainly in exile and elderly people. Mm. And, and, and also there was a gender imbalance. It took long. It took up to 2014, actually, for our parliament to be gender balanced or to have 51% of women occupying parliamentary seats. But when you look at the economic sector outside the politics, when you look at positions in strategic economic uh, uh, organizations or state-owned entities, the, 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 the reserve bank itself, we look at the financial sectors. We don't find women in those strategic positions. We don't even find black people generally occupying economic positions. That's why today we find that the apartheid uh, uh, regime has built the so-called matchbox houses in townships. 
then the ANC-led government of national unity and an absolute government led by the ANC after 1999 came into power and continued with apartheid government left without oppressing people, but with the economic exclusion. Black people in general in South Africa are economically excluded. That's why you find youth who are qualified with diplomas and degrees are roaming the streets. It's because within her economic policies, you can accommodate those people to be swallowed into the economy of the country. And mm-hmm. I think we did very bad there. Uh, there's been a lot of promises. There's been, I've never seen a country with a number of economic policies like South Africa. You know, we have the RDP, we, 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 uh, and all sorts yeah. of economic policies that mm-hmm. visa and so forth. Mm-hmm. But we did not have the right people in political and public offices who can actually work out and implement those great policies uh, 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 in order to uplift the lives of, you know, the, the, the formerly excluded uh, uh, black people. Let's use an example of Sanjin. You know, there's one example I like to use. Mm. Sanjin and Alexander, they are actually divided by a highway in between. They share the same municipal services from the city of Johannesburg. Same, same city country. But if you look at what the city of Johannesburg renders, to, to something, this is what is rendered to Alexander. It's totally not the same. Mm. So we need not take care of those socio-economic impacts that would have changed the lives of you know people in South Africa and make them equal. And that is the unfortunate part. Uh, 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 but something is just one of the examples. There's many other such examples in cases in, in mm-hmm. the northwest, in, in Cape in, Town, yeah. in the eastern yeah, yeah. Cape. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you speak about the economy. You've touched on a number of issues as well. But when it comes to matters of social cohesion, when it comes to race relations as well, the cracks again, you know, are deep and are wide. Uh, just looking at the election results as they start to trickle in and the growth of the VF uh, uh, and 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 the margins that EFF has been able to garner. It says to mm-hmm. me, "Go to mm, all is not quite well." And then I recall an analogy that someone had used to describe what should have happened back in 1994. They used the metaphor of of giving birth and said that uh, you know South Africa, in essence, just had a C-section. You know, when it gave birth to to this new democracy of ours, it was neat, it was timely. You know, it was it was it was mm-hmm. sort of uh, something that was done uh, on a certain time and then people think that's it and then we move on without getting into the can I say dirty business and the complications of of pushing and and um, you know the intricacies of, of vaginal birth you know and how dirty that can be and how um, you know unpredictable it can be and some people are saying that we should have done that in inverted commas dirty work back then of dealing with race relations of dealing with um, a lack of social cohesion instead of masking things over and delivering this uh, new baby called democracy and then washing our hands and thinking uh, that we're done. Because decades later, we are seeing that mm-mm, the work is incomplete. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, unfortunately, me and you, we can sit and reflect backwards to see we as a nation should have done the dirty work. And both from all races in the country, we should have gone and done the dirty work. White people could have come forward as well and said, we have done you wrong. What can we do as a nation to correct the imbalance of the past? There probably were reasons why the former leaders of 90s uh, did not want to soil and dirty their hands. There's various 
you know, uh, assumptions. They, they could have been cast and been in prison. They could have been dead and been in exile. They could have been worried that, uh, you know, getting into the dirty work would have led to bloodshed. You know, that is mm-hmm. what we hear most of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to avoid the bloodshed. But they did not have the plan of how they are going to roll out gradually so that it should not anger the people in the country. That's what we should have had, how to roll out this gradually. I normally make an example to say, uh, you know, when I started working for government in the early 90s, the key lady, the security guard and the cleaner at work were employees of the state. So they had job security, they had medical aid, and they had a stable income. Hmm. We destroyed all that. We destroyed all that and we introduced, for example, a tender system whereby the government will have to outsource security guards, to outsource cleaning services, to even outsource people who are doing catering in government offices and so forth. That actually resulted unemployment because people who are conducting these businesses, we have found out over years that they, they are you know, irresponsible in taking care of people who don't respect the laws of the country, the laws of the country. Mm-hmm. And we did learn that the tendering system actually created and contributed to unemployment in the country because it is a a transitional form of employment. It is not a permanent form of employment. You know, people can employ temporarily when the permanent sector so contract with the state, and after a year or two, people are scattered all over the street. So mm-hmm. we didn't take care of our youth. We didn't plan for that. But again, if we recall very well, I don't know how old we used that time. By the time we went to the Cortez and the Cortez Pier and the Captain Park negotiations, mm-hmm. the three major liberation movements, the KCRs, in the ANC, we have scattered all over. They were separated. Mm. There was not a single black voice. I recall the TAC saying to the ANC, we will join the negotiation table only if all liberation movements sit on the one side of the table. And we confront the National Party and everybody else from one side of the table. So we negotiate as the oppressed with the oppressor. And that did not go well with, you know, with the ANC. And everything collapsed that time until today. Look at how Today, a minority, a racially based uh, organization like the Triton Fund Plus, has managed to increase their numbers from one to three percent already at this hour. Mm. You know, on yet from one to three percent already at this hour. And somebody asked me, how is that possible? How did the Triton Fund Plus, which is uh, a minority and racially based, and I thought it is because. The white society in Africa are organized. They are united, they are organized. Even if they've got differences among themselves, they manage to, you know, set their differences aside when they're faced with issues like the elections, when they're faced with issues like uh, uh, to make sure that they are part of the system it's in, the, in the national anthem. Even in sports, if you look at the formerly so-called white sport, like rugby and cricket, mm-hmm. they're still predominantly that. And we don't have that transition because we are fractured as a nation. The religion as well, uh, I am and the listeners, religion played a very pivotal role uh, during colonialism and apartheid. Even after apartheid, we failed to carry on what the South African Council of Churches during the apartheid years did to keep various religious denominations united against the common enemy. Now, we don't have a common enemy anymore. The common enemy here is to make sure that democracy works. Now, you find all these religious, you know, uh, groupings and formations that take me different language. Hmm. So, this divide them rule 
that was adopted during the colonial and the apartheid era has caught up with us today as a nation. And and I think it's also a little bit dangerous to sit in a situation whereby uh, after 35 years, you still find the majority of the population in this country still equally excluded. Mm. And I think that it's very dangerous. It may take us back to what we avoided in 1994. And it will be unfortunate that uh, people will start rioting, people will start uh, complaining, and people may actually turn this country into a chaos that we mm. avoided because we delayed. But finally, you know, from my side, the issue of corruption has con- uh, contributed significantly to the delay of service delivery and the upliftment of, of, of the rights of the you know, poor black majority. It has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you are corrupt, if you are a country and you are entrusted with 100 billion to can develop street in a certain township, and you decide to use only 20 billion of that money, the other 80 billion is squandered, and nobody has ever been imprisoned in East Africa. The corruption and serious corruption cases and activities that has contributed to where we are today. The fact that we can afford higher education uh, uh, for free, which will cost us 55 billion as a nation, but we can afford counseling that is costing 130 billion at a loss. We could afford arms. We are a nation that was not facing any war sure. in the So nobody wanted to attack us. However, we went and we squandered over 100 billion rand on arms that we did not need. Yeah, yeah. So our priorities were skewed as well. Mm. So you've given us a holistic picture of the dire state of affairs in the country. And uh, when we come back, we're going to turn our attention to how do we fix it. Thank you very much for your time, analyst Butsang uh, Moilwa, just painting a very grim picture. But I think in order for us to heal, I always say this, eh? we have to face the facts. We can't skim over them. We can't ignore them. We have to make sure that we deal with that uh, gaping wound that is festering in our country and once we can clear it and clean it and apply the medication on it then and only then shall it heal so now that we've taken a look throwback Thursday at, at all that has gone wrong let's try and see how we can fix it after the break it